Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. Building upon the success of two books of interviews and a podcast, Jay Blake Fischera is bringing his passion for horror film music to a new medium, a feature-length documentary called Scored to Death, The Dark Art of Scary Movie Music. In this conversation, Blake shares how the project is a natural progression of experiences and relationships. With the first five interviews recorded, he is now putting together a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for the film and a brand new cover album of horror themes. That's awesome. In addition to learning more about this project, Blake talks about a variety of things pertinent to all creative professionals working on projects. Intentional decision-making, influences, the importance of relationships, and the value of asking. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode, and there's a lot of it, can be found at gwtw.co slash 628. What's filling your curiosity tank today? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, just uh, I'm just busy trying to uh, publicize stuff. That's that's really taking up everything and trying to fit a few horror movies in for the <laughs> Halloween season every now and oh, then. Yeah. Is there like a go to film for you this season? N- no, not really. Um, I've been trying to as I get older. I'm less interested in, you know, revisiting the stuff that I've seen a million times, even though I love it Mm -hmm. and more interested in seeing stuff I haven't seen. And I've been trying to watch more contemporary horror because that was something that I haven't really done a lot because when I was doing Saturday night movie sleepovers, the podcast, which Mm -hmm. where we talked about movies, it was all about kind of like, um, nostalgia and then i i was also writing the score to death books at that time and that was all for the most part about you know talking to composers about scores from older movies so Mm -hmm. there was like years where i didn't really watch anything new i just was (laughs) revisiting all these old older films so um now that uh i have more time on my hands and in that way Mm-hmm. Not researching for podcasts and stuff. I'm <laughs> right. just trying to uh, watch more contemporary stuff. And yeah. uh, not necessarily looking for like the good stuff, just sometimes I like to just veg out and watch whatever's the most standard mm-hmm. contemporary horror film I can find. Yeah. My my wife and I watched The Black Phone not too long ago, and we we really enjoyed that. Yeah, I like that one too. I, I didn't mean I, I don't I didn't think it was completely flawless, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was um, that that one was a lot a lot of fun. I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, and we just watched Freaky a couple nights ago, and that that for the second time, and that that just surprised me every time because it's like the whole spin on Freaky Friday, but with a horror film. Yeah, I well, it's made by the I forget his first name. His last name's Landon. He's Michael yeah. Landon's son. And, Christopher. Uh, yeah, Christopher. And I just loved the Happy Death Day movies. Yes. Those were so good. And so when he did Freaky, I was so excited. And I loved Freaky as well. I've been thinking about revisiting it this season because I only watched it, you know, when it first 
mm-hmm. kind of came out, which was, I think, during the pandemic. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's when I, I am actually interested in revisiting because I only saw it the one time and I'm such a big fan of his movies. Yeah, I what I appreciated about the Happy Death Day uh, duology is that uh, I love how the second one just goes in a completely different direction than the first one. Yeah. I know it got a lot of flack for that, but I love that. <laughs> yeah, because it like picks up exactly where the first one leaves off, but it goes in a completely different direction. <laughs> exactly. And I loved uh, Bear McCreary's music for those movies, especially the second one, because the second one, you know, for people that haven't seen it, deals a little more with actual time travel. And he would throw in the little chimey sounds from back to the future as like a little <laughs> homage occasionally <laughs> awesome <laughs> so so when you're watching a film are you listening to it as much as you're watching it or now that you're kind of relaxed and not on deadline for writing about scores and revisiting nostalgia can you come at it with a blank slate you know it's a weird uh there's a weird duality to that you know, even when I was researching for the books mm-hmm. and now for the, for the film, um, I do have a, it's like, I have to make a, a forceful effort to pay attention to the music because once I start getting wrapped up into the story, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you kind of don't pay attention to the music. I mean, that's the function of it. You know, you're, like, you're not really supposed to notice the music, right? but at the same time, I am kind of you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I, I am at time definitely more aware of it than I ever was before with things like that. You know, when I hear little things, Bear McCreary specifically has a, has a, uh, what I think is a beautiful tendency to sometimes pay homage to things. Cause he's such a film music fan mm-hmm. and a film fan that you will get like little things that are really like an homage to like Alan Silvestri's score for back to the future. Or I remember watching an episode of um, agents of shield and he did like a total terminator <laughs> kind of homage for, for a cue. Nice. So that kind of stuff does kind of poke out at me when I'm watching it. And at times I, I, I become more aware now of how music is working. Mm-hmm especially for a movie that I've seen several times. Like I remember I I watched scream last year. I became very aware of how the music was working for me emotionally, Mm -hmm. like how, how Marco Beltrami's music, like in the, the beginning, the first, you know, the infamous or famous uh, (laughs) killing scene in the beginning. Yeah. Um, What? He, he plays that scene the music when the actual murder happens he plays the tragedy of it mm-hmm. and not the horror of it mm. and that was something that like you know i never noticed before but now that um my brain is now programmed to pay attention to those <laughs> kinds of things right. like i you know those kinds of things sometimes will you know kind of sneak out and they that be i become aware of them but for the most part i you know it's a it's on occasion like i said it's a weird there's two ends of the spectrum where like, I totally am oblivious to it, even when I'm trying to pay attention to it or certain things do kind of sneak out and, and I, I become aware of them, but unluckily I can kind of not obsess over them and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take me out of the story. You, you mentioned something earlier with, you know, Saturday night sleepovers where you're examining nostalgia. 
And then with Bear McCreary paying homage to like Back to the Future films or Terminator, what do you think the difference between paying an homage and nostalgia is? Intent, I guess. I don't. I don't know. I never. I never really thought about it. Uh, I don't know if there is. I mean, I, I guess it would be intent. You know, like is. Yeah. I, I think for Bear McCreary, a lot of it is nostalgia, probably. But I think for other filmmakers, it's not maybe based in nostalgia, but it's just based on admiration or a, a, like a sense of humor, perhaps. You know, it, it depends on like why they're doing it. And I, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole uh, Bear McCreary's intent as being strictly nostalgia. But, you know, uh, being familiar with his work and speaking with him, even if it was just for a little while, for the second book, I, I just know he's such a huge fan yeah. of film music and film composers that I think at least some of it for him is probably a little bit of nostalgia. But I think for others, it might not be. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because then I, I think about... Even like uh, when you watch a good live performance of something and a band can like seamlessly weave in a, a few riffs of, of a song and then jump back into their song. Uh, that's always interesting. It kind of speaks to paying that homage to the song that they're referencing and then jumping back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we all have influences, you know, in one kind of whatever we do and, and artists, especially, I think in terms of, you know, what they're trying to do in terms of their art and when they're performing performers. And I think it's, it's fun to, you know, kind of show those influences in a more direct way, especially in a live setting, because yeah. it's also, you know, it's kind of a fun way to communicate with the audience too, yeah. in, in, a, in an instance like that. It almost seems like the opposite of gatekeeping too, where it's just like, oh, what was that? And then people get excited to go chase down, you know, those references and open yeah. up to that world. And then the people that are in the know kind of feel special at the same time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I I was your age when that came out. <laughs> and sometimes it's just uh when I used to play live more often, I haven't played live in a few years now because of working on the second book and then COVID kind of hit right as I was getting ready to play live again. Mm -hmm. But, um, we would play this kind of like Bo Diddley arrangement that I came up with for Led Zeppelin's rock and roll. <laughs> That's and, awesome. <laughs> and so we would open with just kind of like that Bo Diddley, like chugging, like chick, chick, at the top of it and we would just kind of like ride the e for a while the e chord and so as we were just kind of doing that i would just play like uh you know joy to the world or you know all these like whatever kind of lick because you're just kind of planted in one right key for, for a second and so i would or the james bond you know the <laughs> lick of the guitar lick of the james bond theme yeah um, it's just like sometimes when you're just up there you and you have something like that where there's just like it's that there's nothing complicated happening and you're just kind of vamping for a while and you just kind of pull out like an arsenal of silly licks that you have <laughs> kind of like stored in your com the computer of your brain yeah oh that's interesting and, uh, just kind of lay them down or we used to do um black magic woman and uh, the beginning of that 
I mean, it's originally a Louis Prima song, but I would do the lick, like more of the Benny Goodman, like lick for the song, sing, 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 <laughs> uh, over the, over that. <laughs> it was just like, it's a way to just kind of be silly, but yeah, also just like kind of fit in things and they're not necessarily nostalgia. They're just like, you know, like they, they come to they pop into your head and yeah. you kind of do them. And it's more of like a, for me, it was always more of like a sense of humor. Yeah, kind of thing like a Christmas to do like a little Christmas carol <laughs> lick over <laughs> over over that it always seemed kind of funny to me in July. <laughs> well, and two, I think it creates that special moment in time that you know time is such an important factor in music as well. Yeah, whether it's the timing of the song or when you're listening to a song. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was watching the trailer for scored to death the dark art of scary movie music and harry manfredini has this great quote in it music is the killer i mean i've been thinking about that for a while now since i watched that that is such a great line yeah it's something that is somewhat unique to horror Mm -hmm. you know every movie has not every movie but it's not having themes for characters isn't 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 unique to horror i mean that goes back to like opera and stuff but horror has a tendency to create a, a, a motif or a theme for the killer because if you think of jaws the original friday the 13th even suspiria these are things where the threat is not on camera a lot of the, the time mm-hmm. or at least not visible you know often in friday the 13th in the especially in the first one you're seeing things through the perspective of the killer but hit that person the killer is not on camera mm-hmm. and so the music kind of has to become the killer you know it has to let the audience know that the threat is is out there i mean you know jaws is the perfect example of that um that two note motif that theme that uh, john williams created for the shark you know that became the shark because we didn't see the shark most of the time (laughs) but it's but it's also a way of like i said it's to let the audience know that the threat is is out there in suspiria it's like these howling vocals of you know, Massimo Morante during some of the more abstract stuff. It's like the, the witches are around us, even though we're not seeing them. So, yeah, I mean, he's talking specifically about what he had to do with Friday the 13th, but it applies to so much horror, mm-hmm. so many horror movies. And it, it's just interesting how it sticks in our mind to the point where, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this, but like you're walking around in a forest and all of a sudden you start playing back the music from the film in your head at <laughs> that moment. Yeah, of course. You know, there's some of those <laughs> things together. I mean, how who hasn't uh you know been in water and either thought or had a friend say like it? or been <laughs> right. in the woods and have somebody say kick or taking a or even taking a shower and thought about the psycho theme, you know, it's right. the something about the way film music and especially in those instances, the way the combination of the the combination of like the narrative and the visual and the music, I think it imprints itself on us in a way that n- none of them can on their own. It's the combination of things. Yeah. And so I think film music is 
incredibly powerful in that way compared to other kinds of music because you know the the story it's given a story and it's given you know it's given a, a perspective and and a point of view and and a and a story and an emotional response that like sure like every piece of music you could argue instills emo in, uh, emotion into us but you know we have something to directly connect film music too like i love bill conti's score for rocky and yeah. i love that the music's great but it's it's connection to that movie and that story that makes it so powerful mm -hmm. it's like when you're in the grocery store and you hear eye of the tiger you don't think of the band you think of rocky <laughs> yeah yeah certainly for sure <laughs> Well, I'm a huge fan of the two scored to death books. And what I love about them is that you really dive deep into each composer's uh, purpose, intent, uh, history, all of that. But when it comes to a documentary, I mean, I'm excited to see what you do with that because it, it, you, there's so many different ways to go. Uh, what's been kind of your idea writing this project in order to be different from the books and yet, I guess, pay homage to the books? I definitely, obviously the books do something that the movies can't and I'm hoping that the effort is to, the intent is to have the movie do something that the books can. Like, I don't think of the documentary as kind of, a, a, you know, based on the books. It's not an abridged version of the books. It's, <laughs> right. I want to explore how music works in horror films and the history of it mm -hmm. through you know, the genre's most iconic scores. The books were very much, you know, each chapter was an interview with a composer mm -hmm. and we learned about that composer, how they came to work on horror films, how they became to write music for movies in general. And then we learned about their process and we got behind the scenes information about the, the scores. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit, and there was stuff about how, music works in horror films and why music in horror films is unique. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a difference in reading that on a page and being able to demonstrate it. Yes. So the, the goal for the film is to really explore how music works in horror films mm -hmm. and really get into kind of more that. And also, you know, obviously, give that context of backgrounds of some of our favorite horror movie scores and we're talking to those composers but so we're going to kind of explore how music works through horror in horror films through those scores and those composers uh perspectives and then the other thing that you know I, we didn't do a whole lot in the book is i mean obviously the composers talked about their influences but part of the thing that I want to do with the movie is also kind of just celebrate some of the greatest harm or most iconic horror scores in general. So, you know, we, I get to talk to them about Bernard Herman and the score yeah. for psycho and why yeah. that works and Jerry Goldsmith and the omen and, you know, the significance of William Friedkin using Mike Goldfield's tubular bells in the exorcism and how that kind of influenced the scores that came after it. So it's like a little bit about the history mm -hmm. of music in the genre combined with 
how music works in horror movies and why it's unique and what about it is unique and those kinds of things. So it's less about like biographies of the composers and how they work and more about the music itself and its job in the genre. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I get that from the trailer too, where I think it's Charlie Clauser and the saw theme where he's kind of piecing together on the keyboard, how he came up with that theme. And it's just like, it gives you chills even in like that, sausage making moment of of seeing him kind of play it on the keyboard you still get that oh yeah and and for social media you know they have to keep those things i had to cut those things like kind of like really condensed yeah but you know that's charlie is a perfect example of like his perspective and his reasoning for things which i think comes across in the videos that i've posted on social media where he's talking about saw but there's so much more to that that you know I want to explore yeah. in the movie. You know the the reasons why he does it, like making it simple, making the music simple because where it comes in in the movie is during a period of time where the audience is being bombarded with information. Mm -hmm. So you know he he felt he had to make the music easy for like the brain to decipher <laughs> so that it's not distracted yeah you know it needed to do what it needed to do emotionally but it couldn't be a distraction so to keep it simple with just like a repeating you know little arpeggio or whatever it, it, you know his reasoning is interesting i find fascinating i love talking yeah. to charlie I've, I've had the extreme pleasure and honor of talking about music with charlie for hours upon hours on multiple sessions both for the book and the film and just personally <laughs> so uh he's just he's someone that i could sit and chat with for hours and i have and uh i, I there's so much more to talk to him about um, yeah. i just love the way his mind works I, I love this insight into the filmmaking process too because you know sometimes I'm sure you've had this experience before, like I have, you, you're excited to talk with someone and you realize that it's just this surface level conversation, again, not naming any names here, but then you have those moments with Charlie where it's a never ending amount of conversation possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Charlie, he's a, he's a, he's a talker, which is nice. <laughs> um, some people that you interview are are not yes <laughs> and those conversations can also be very rewarding but um uh when you get someone like charlie who just uh he could just talk and is and it's and everything he says i find interesting it's amazing yeah and he's also just fat i mean here's a guy who played in nine inch nails for like almost <laughs> 10 years right you know of course like the guy has got stories and experiences that you know that are fascinating. So yeah. uh, he's uh, he's definitely a kind of an extreme example. Like I, I just love. It, there's so much more. I mean, I don't want to get into all of it because, you know, read the book. I mean, his interview is is gigantic in the book, and it's because it's just so his brain just works in a way that none of the other composers does, and I think in in a weird way. So, um, but then you know they're all. Like I wouldn't still be doing it and trying to make a movie about it if I if it wasn't rewarding for me. Yeah, you know, like it's not about the money. Like I, you know, I've I've spent more money 
on these endeavors than in time that I'll ever recoup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I enjoy talking to that with them about what they do. And, um, it, I find it rewarding and that's why I keep doing it. Yeah. So what led you to make this doc now? Well, it was just, uh, I just felt like it was time. I mean, it was always the intent. You know, I, I went to film school and I love movies and I always wanted to make movies and I work in television and because I live in New York and there's just more television here <laughs> in terms of instead of film. And, but it just wasn't in the cards when the first book came out, even though I kind of wanted to do it then. And I'm kind of happy that I didn't do it then because the experience of the second book and the podcasts and the relationships that I've developed and nurtured with all these composers over the years since the first book mm -hmm. i think it's now is the right time for it and it was just like uh part of it was you know to, to say an expression that maybe isn't you know proper it was like shit or get off the pot kind of thing <laughs> you know it was like a, you that. know we can kind of talk about it forever yeah but here's an opportunity where like what am I waiting for now? Mm. You know, like I pretty much have like a stable of some of the most iconic composers in the genre at my disposal at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe COVID had a lot to do with it. It was like, you know, you start to put things in perspective and mm -hmm. time becomes a little more precious as you get older. You know, I'm now 44, I think. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, well, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? Right. Um, so it was a combination of things and it was just became, it became, it was the right time to pursue it. And mm -hmm. like I said, it was, I'm kind of glad I didn't do it earlier because I think the film will be better now than if I started it in 2016 or 2017, right after the first book came out, you know, yeah. I have so much more experience, so many more relationships. I've been working in, TV development all through that time. Just everything was kind of came together. Like, I love the unique perspective that you're coming at it with as well, because you're not just coming at it as a film editor, but you're coming at it as a filmmaker, a book writer, a book editor, podcast editor, all of these different like pieces of your personality. And I think that's such an amazing, like, I don't know. It just I feel like the documentary is going to be richer because of all of those, you know, you know, facets of your personality, as opposed to if it was just the the TV editor back in the day. Yeah, I yeah, I, I never really thought about it that way, but I think that is a a good way to kind of look at it because you know I guess that's what I was kind of getting at. Whereas like I don't, yeah. I, I think it would be a better film now because at yeah. the time. I had only been podcasting for a little while when the first book came out and there's just, you know, art is kind of a culmination of all the experiences that person has when they do it yeah. and, uh, kind of always. And so, you know, now that I have like another several years of experience in all these different fields, yeah, it does, it does seem like the film. I think has a chance to, like you said, be kind of richer than it would have been had I just done it then. Yeah. And that's why I kind of feel really good about it. And I shot the first five interviews in June, kind of in preparation for the Kickstarter 
because I wanted to have video to show yeah. for it, um, to be able to sh- kind of demonstrate what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. um, while I try to raise this money. And as I'm going through the, and then I like, I kind of shot the video and then I came back and I had to go right back to work and I, for like my day job and things. And so I didn't really kind of pry open that footage and start taking a look at it until uh, like a week before the Kickstarter account uh, <laughs> campaign started. So, so that I could cut the video for the Kickstarter campaign. And now I'm cutting videos for the social media to try to bring awareness to it. Mm-hmm. And it's been really fun to go through the footage and see what I got yeah. on those. The Especially because the for circumstances that had nothing to do with any of the composers, uh, just the circumstances of make doing that, those interviews was a cluster F, <laughs> you know, it was, there was a lot of things kind of fell apart mm-hmm. and I was put, being pulled in a lot of different directions. My partner who came out with me to do that, like my, my producing partner, he was going to, he was going to pretty much be the cameraman while I was, could just focus on the, on the interviews as soon as we got out there there was a family emergency and he had to fly oh, back no. to new york before we even shot the first interview so uh and being a new yorker i you know all of a sudden he was going to be also be driving us everywhere and because i don't <laughs> i had lived in midtown manhattan i haven't driven a car in a decade uh so all of a sudden it became like at the very last minute hours before the first interview he's booking a flight to go home and then all of a sudden i'm dragging all this equipment and ubers all around you know the la area by myself and setting everything up by myself and then trying to do the interviews by myself and then breaking everything down by myself and so it was just like when i got back it was like so draining and so stressful that i was just like i put the i backed up all the every night i would back up the footage to other drives which took hours and so it's like i would get back you know at like you know late at night and then be up trying to back up footage for the next morning and so by the time i got back i just like put everything down and for you know wanted to kind of i needed to you know detach myself from it (laughs) and decompress and and it was such like a whirlwind of stuff that uh going through the footage it was like i was kind of you know i i was seeing it for the first time it was like i didn't even remember it it was <laughs> it was so stressful so going through the footage and seeing what what i got in it was exciting because it was like oh like these turned out way better than i thought they were going to given the circumstances right because when you're you know, it's, you get a little bit of it when you're podcasting, I'm sure, especially in the beginning when you started doing these interviews for your podcasting, you know, there's a lot of like double checking to make sure things are recording, double checking that the levels are going well while you're talking to somebody. Yeah. And so you're just, your attention is drawn away. So, I mean, take that and then amplify it through like a two camera interview setup <laughs> right. with you know making sure that sound is running that both <laughs> cameras are running things are in focus yeah that, that you know so just like my attention was so split while i was doing those first five interviews that i you know i was just like god i hope there's 
that we got that I got stuff. And of course I knew as I looked at the footage before I backed it up, just to make sure that there was an image on the, (laughs) 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 we got an image. I would say like, Oh, I shouldn't have, you know, like I, every, every day I made a mistake Mm -hmm. that I could correct the next day. Uh, Like, Oh, I should have had his eyeline here, or I should have framed it that way, or the light should have been here. Um, Cause just like, so it was just, it was just a crazy experience, but going through the footage to cut these videos, it was like wow, you know, like it was kind of refreshing, and that's all stuff that came from the fact that I've already spoken to these composers mm-hmm. at length, you yeah. know, so and that I know them, and the reason why I picked those five composers for the first five interviews is because I'm I'm friendly with them, and I know them, and I know they're supportive, and um, so that it was like I didn't have to worry so much about that. And that all comes to like what we were talking about before, like all that experience. I mean, yeah. I think the reason why I could almost be on autopilot for like lack of a better term for those interviews was because <laughs> yeah. I've, I had already spoken to Charlie for five hours about his career, about his music. <laughs> and it was just a matter of getting the stuff that would be right for the film out of it. So yeah, it was crazy. Uh, but, uh, I'm ex, you know, I'm excited by the footage that we've shot and seeing what we have, and I think the videos, the even though they're short that I put together so far, I, I'm really proud of the way they're coming out. And I think they, they're great, you know, in terms of what we managed, what we got, and, and the composers, of course, are great. So, yeah, I'm really excited, and I'm ho- and I'm I'm hoping that the next interviews won't be quite as stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it it does it. What I love about that, though, Blake, is like it reminds me of some of the making ofs that I've seen of some of those classic films. Is like that's what a lot of it was. It was like just going around and making mistakes and and realizing at the end of the day what you got was better than what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. But like you said, I mean, I I don't think that would have been the case um, (laughs) if it wasn't for you know, all that, all that experience and time in between now and 2016. So, you know, I got very, very lucky, but, um, you know, sometimes you, you make your own luck, you know, you just, you set yourself up for success, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, or whatever the, that is, that, that saying is, you know, you, I was just talking to somebody about, um, getting a job or they just did a job that they didn't, it's a composer and they were telling me they just did their first feature and, and it was not a great experience. Mm. Um, and I was just saying like, yeah, but you worked with people, mm-hmm. you know, that you had never worked with before you met people. Some of them are big deal. Um, and that's how you get the next job. You know, it's, it's, you create a network of, of people with either personally or professionally. And then that's how the net really, when they say it's who, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what it is, especially in the, for my experience in like the entertainment TV film industry. Yeah. And I said, but the, what you have to do now is you have to keep in touch with them. You know, you yeah. have to every few months make up an excuse to email them. You know? <laughs> oh, I saw, I saw this, I saw this latest movie and I thought it was great. I just wanted to reach out and tell you because so much of it is luck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously I'm, obviously I'm talking about getting a job, which is very different, but I think it kind of applies. And my, my point was, you know, like 
so much of it is being in the right place at the right time. So to kind of create better odds, you just have to make sure you're in that place as much as possible so that when the time comes, you're there. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, I think that applies to this in a lot of ways, not in the same way, but mm-hmm. all this experience that led up to it. And I think especially the friendships, like mm-hmm. going into Charlie's interview, being the first one, having to do it by myself. I said to Charlie going into it, I said, like, I'm glad you're the first one. <laughs> right. And he said, and he said, why? And I said, because you're the most easygoing. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed he said okay and like you know it, i hadn't set everything up the the first time so interviewing charlie was like the setup was like an hour and a half right and uh we sat there and chatted forever and there were so many things i wanted to do with charlie get him at the computer talking about hello zap and him playing his giant uh instrument called the k lostus which you can see in the a little bit of him playing in the in the first trailer for it, there were so many setups I wanted to do with Charlie. Just it took forever, and it was like thankful that I had a relationship with him, <laughs> that we were friendly, that I knew he was easygoing. It took right. off a lot of stress. Yeah. So the, just like creating relationships and maintaining relationships with people in a professional capacity is so important, and that was what made those it, those first five interviews where everything else was falling apart a little bit less stressful knowing having relationships with those people and friendships that I've been kind of nurturing for the last, you know, six years or so. Yeah. I love that. Well, one of the challenging parts of getting any film made is getting the funding. At what point did Kickstarter enter your mind as something that you wanted to do for this project? Well, I spent COVID trying to sell it. Because, I mean, basically what I've been doing, I think a lot of what we talked about last time I was on the show was working in television development. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's made sense to me to try to go that route yeah. originally. I try to sell it as a documentary for TV or as a docu-series. Um, so I spent a lot of COVID trying to do that. I cut a sizzle reel out of footage from various other interviews and bonus features to just give a kind of an idea of, you know, stuff that I didn't shoot, but to give someone an idea of what it could be Mm -hmm. when we were going to shoot it. And so I spent a lot of time trying to do that and it looked like that was going to happen for a while, but uh, ultimately before anything was signed and deals were made, um, there was it looked like we were going to do it with a pretty great company for a streaming service, but just things didn't things something wasn't right about it. You know, there was there wasn't any guarantee that I would be able to be a part of it. You know, and it was, um, you know, the, the what I was the impression I was given was that this streaming service wanted to just kind of buy the title and the idea oh. and make their movie and. Mm-hmm give me a executive producer credit. And though there was a possibility that I would be able to be involved in some way, it was going to be at the discretion of whatever showrunner they hired mm-hmm. to make the show. And, um, it just, I, I don't know. It just didn't, I, I was okay with not directing it, but I was not okay with not being involved at all. Right. 
Yeah. And um, without having that guarantee, it was also like, what is it? What do you mean by the title? I mean, like I'm at scored to death on social media. You know, I have <laughs> right. books. Yeah. I have scored, I have scored to death podcasts, you know, right. like if I don't own the title, what is that? What is that going to mean? So it was walking away from that deal. And then unfortunately having that deal murky, the waters for other deals, mm-hmm. Because everybody just saw this one streaming service as the only place for it. Mm-hmm. So then it was like talking to another company who has done a lot of interesting programming for the streaming service in the horror field. And then them not wanting to pitch it to that f- service because of what happened with the other service, the other deal, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it, it was like, okay, you know, like I, it's, I can't do it in more conventional i'm not gonna be able to do it in a more conventional fashion so what's what are the other options yeah and it was crowdfunding and um it's been an experience trying to (laughs) do that and uh one i i i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy (laughs) but in in some ways um and this has been a learning experience too. I've come to realize that maybe October was not the time for this Kickstarter campaign. Uh, too many outlets who would possibly normally help promote something like this, I think are spread too thin in the horror field with other things happening in October because of Halloween. And uh, so it's been really difficult to get promotion from uh, and support from the horror community because mm-hmm. people are going to conventions and saving their money for those things. And so it's been a learning experience. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how that, all that learning is going to help this project, but if I am to do another <laughs> project in the horror field, I've, <laughs> I've learned things uh, of how to crowdfund that yeah. uh, will be helpful in the future, but I'm not sure they're helpful at the moment. <laughs> Yeah. One day Bear McCreary will make a soundtrack for it and put some homage back to this moment for you. Mm, Yes. (laughs) One of the perks that I thought was awesome was the cover album concept. Uh, Where did that come in as? That came about because, you know, it's a documentary about film music and film music having, and especially horror film music, having such a, um, a loyal fan base in the collectors space, you know, with the right, with the release of the, of uh, all these soundtracks on final, um, and me included, you know, someone. So I kind of thought like, I I feel, I felt like I needed to have something physical for film music collectors to have, that that would be a, a selling point, something to get people excited and not knowing how much money I would be able to raise, I didn't know and still don't if I will be able to hire a composer to write an original score for the documentary. Because mm-hmm. um, if I have to go the route of library tracks, I can't release those, you know, mm-hmm. so I can only use them. I can pay for the use of them in the documentary, but not necessarily to release them on an album. So. Uh, I just kind of thought like, well, okay, so, but I would like to release an album of some kind Mm -hmm. what as a fan and a collector what would i find interesting so i came up with this idea of producing an album of 
covers of horror movie themes. Yeah. So I started reaching out to uh, composers and bands and music artists and just saying, this is what I'm trying to do. I wrote these books. I'm trying to make this documentary. I'm trying to raise money. I know this sucks, but would you record a new cover of a horror theme and let me use it for free? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so much my entire life as a author and all this stuff has been, my mantra has been like, what have you got to lose? Right. You know, uh, worst they can do is say no, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like just reach out to people and ask, you know, it never hurts to ask. Right. Uh, the books exist because of that reason. You know, all those, I decided to reach out to those composers and say, Hey, would you give me two hours of your time? Mm -hmm. And they said, yes, I reached out to publishers and I said, I have this material that I'm putting together. I'm making a book. Do you want to publish it? And some someone said yes. Uh, so uh, I decided to use that to reach out to professional musicians and say, "Will you do for me what you do professionally? You make your living at. Would you do it for me for nothing?" And uh, surprisingly, many said yes. Oh, that's um, because they believe in the project. They're either fans of the books. Or they see what I'm trying to do. They can sympathize and empathize with trying to create something uh, out of passion. And so we've put together a, an amazing lineup of artists and composers and bands. Uh, Alan Howarth, uh, Wojciech Golchewski, who's a great composer and, and music artist. Steve Moore from the band Zombie, the band Voyager, the band Adam Morte. The Blair brothers, uh, Will and Brooke Blair, who are amazing uh, film music composers. Uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting people. There's, we have like a Richard Christie, who's a legendary heavy metal drummer and a friend of mine. He's he's doing a, I don't think it's going to be heavy metal-esque, but he's doing a cover of a Carpenter tune for me <laughs> uh, cool. for this. It's been humbling. And, uh, you know, of course, people said no. And uh, many people never responded, but uh, the fact that I have like eight, nine artists or so yeah. uh, say yes is amazing. So in addition to making, producing a documentary, I'm producing a record. <laughs> it's that's, it's, it's two great projects in one campaign yeah. of horror movie themes. So it's, it's the album will be available exclusively through the Kickstarter campaign. And we're going to produce a limited number of CDs and a limited number of vinyl albums mm -hmm. and, uh, kind of, you know, the only other way you're going to be able to get them is if we have, you know, leftovers and we try to distribute them in another way to try to raise money for the movie. But there's really, there's not going to be a lot of them made. And, uh, it's, so it's exciting. Um, I'm like as excited about it as I am about the movie. Um, so it's hard. It's been hard, I think, to convey to people that that is part of it and that it's its own thing and that that it's special. Um, you know, my hope was that like people would be like, oh, that's really cool and jump on it. But yeah. uh, I think it's been hard to convey and, yeah. and kind of promote that aspect of it. 
yeah, it's this has been a, a very interesting experience trying yeah. trying to do this, and, and you know, and the, that's the kind of like the tragedy of it is, I mean, at this point, to be all, to be completely honest, you know, the campaign is as of the recording of this, it ends in two weeks. It ends November first, and it, it appears that you know. Okay, this is my first Kickstarter campaign, so I could be wrong, but it seems like it's we're going to need a miracle to reach the goal of mm-hmm. the minimum that we need to be able to collect any of the funds. Um, you know, like we're seventy percent off <laughs> of our goal with uh, just two weeks left, and so it's it's a little bit tragic, not because of the movie, but it's a little bit tragic is because like I've talk to these f- music artists since creating music for me and they're all working on the things <laughs> and if we can't raise the money i don't have the money to produce the album either so um i'm going to talk to them if we can't raise the money for it I- i'm going to talk to them about you know what are our other options do we produce the record anyway and and then give the money away to charity or can try try to raise money still raise money for the film but just through the record i don't know we'll have to go back to kind of like the drawing board um so that all these wonderful and generous composers and bands work is not in vain yeah Uh, we can still get it out there some way but um yeah yeah so that's you know it's look it's cool whether you even if you're not into the movie the album i think is is pretty awesome so and i've heard some of the things that people are doing and and i know what tracks most of them are working on and uh it's it's very cool the album's going to be very cool well i hope everyone listening to this you know will support the project because i mean independent media moving forward needs to exist and i think you know, this is the perfect example. It's hard to do, but like you said, it's worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, like I said, none of this was ever, um, a money-making proposition for me. It was always <laughs> out of passion. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, you know, I'm working at it and, um, whether we raise the money in this campaign to make the movie or I have to, keep shelling out because you know look i didn't have you know the first five interviews and all the equipment that was all just out of pocket to get this thing going um so if it's that i work for six months put money aside i go shoot again and then i work for another six months for money. you know if the, and the, the movie ends up taking five years or whatever you know we'll see i who knows it, i you know it's not a project that i'm ready to walk away from or willing to walk away from it's just a matter of how is how is it going to get made and can we get enough funding for it to reach its potential yeah um because there you know it's going to cost money there's so many copyright issues that have to do with a with a film like this and even if we try to go the uh fair use route which is like we get we use things like the music and the film clips in a way that we can use them with for free. There's also lawyer fees that are involved for that, you know, to make sure that they comply, that, you know, everything complies. Um, so it's an expensive endeavor and, uh, not living in LA and having to travel there 
So, you know, it's not just a matter of getting enough money to make the movie, but it's what movie we can make with the money we can get. And that goes into, you know, how well we can demonstrate the things we're trying to demonstrate through with copyright stuff Mm -hmm. involved, how many and who can be interviewed for it. So there's just, um, there's a lot of working parts Mm -hmm. uh, that, that are, that have to do with the budget. And, um, so the hope is not just to make enough money to make a movie, but to, to raise enough money to make the movie that not just that I want to make, but the movie that I think will do this topic justice. Well, if you were to contribute a track on the cover album, what would you record? Well, I am actually toying with it with with something for it mm-hmm. um it's gonna whether it'll be on there or not will depend on if there's room left on the vinyl for it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i've started kind of working on a version of goblin's profundo rosso theme the idea came from like what would it sound like if john carpenter wrote this <laughs> So, uh, I kind of, I did like a demo and, uh, I played it for a few people and everybody's like, it's, it's, it's cool. So, um, I'm, I'm toying with that. I had to kind of put it aside once the Kickstarter campaign started. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the Kickstarter campaign's done, uh, yeah, I plan on going back to it and see if I can, you know, make a whole piece out of that. Nice. So there might be a, uh, a Jay Blake cover on it as well excellent well blake thank you so much for being a guest on getting work to work again i always appreciate your passion for making cool shit happen and uh i'm just gonna keep watching and hopefully i'll be able to contribute a little bit and i just appreciate what you're doing thanks man you know it's always i don't know this is i don't know if this may be the third time i've been on the show it's always a pleasure to talk to you i'm always appreciative of the support and the platform to discuss these things and my work and uh you're you're uh one of the best interviewers i've talked to so i appreciate uh your insight and uh the intelligent conversations that we always have Be sure to head to the show notes page at gwtw.co slash 628, and you're going to find at the top of the show links section the link to Blake's Kickstarter page so that you too can back this amazing project. I, for one, have decided to back this project, and I hope you will too. Not only is it two cool projects in one, but it's a practical way of keeping independent artists producing work that, yes, the world needs. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.